Hi, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, where we share positive stories and suggestions about finding hope, resources, and connections to help us all get through hard times. I'm Karen Sullivan, a mom, an author, and a stage four cancer patient who's always looking around me for inspiration. I believe in surrounding myself with people and experiences that make me smile. And that's what I'm hoping to do for you today. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Nina Badson, a highly acclaimed writer, creative writing teacher, and host of the podcast, Dear Nina, Conversations About Friendship. She's been professionally writing and sharing friendship advice for nearly 10 years, though I'm guessing as a kid, she's the one you went to when you needed guidance, good intel, or even just a pat on the back. She's also an avid reader and reviews at least 50 books a year, which makes sense that she also facilitates the Dear Nina Book Club, which are virtual events to read and talk about topics of, you guessed it, friendship. While I don't know Nina really well, I feel like I do. Her writing style is incredibly descriptive while also being very relatable. I've been following her on Facebook for several years and always nodded and smiled when reading through her work. She's full of energy and honestly, someone I would love to be good friends with. So I am pleased to welcome Nina. Hi! Hi, Karen. I know we would be good friends if we lived in the same place when we popped up on this Zoom together I said, oh my gosh, we look like sisters. I mean, I just, you popped up and I'm like, oh, it's like I'm looking at myself. I loved it. I love it because you're beautiful and that makes me feel beautiful. So thank you. Well, I'm really happy to have you on the podcast for so many reasons. And I've been following your work for a number of years, which as I said, that's why I feel like I know you. Not to mention we've got some of the Minneapolis bonding ties there uh, that make it really fun to play that game of like who knows who and what do you remember about who. But most importantly, I know that you have been writing for years and you've taken on now to be a part of your profession. I'd love for you to share with the listeners, how did it begin and, and why friendship is your beat? So it really happened organically. I had a column about parenting in Brainchild Magazine, and I was writing personal essays and sometimes like slightly more researched things about parenting. And I had four kids at the time, and they were little. But the older one, he was probably around 10 or 11, and I had done an essay about his botched piano recital. And it was a great essay, if I may say it was funny. And it was just a really good one. It was actually the essay that got me that column. But it started as a piece for Listen to Your Mother, which is a show that's all around the country, but each city has its own cast every year where you get up and do some sort of reading about friendship. Some are serious, some are funny. Mine was more the funny. And it was all about my son and he's long over it now, so I can tell it again. Meanwhile, it's on YouTube, so there's no hiding it. It was all about him messing up his piano recital and just having to start over again and again and again and again. But it wasn't really about him. It was about me as the parent wanting so badly to just go up there and even put my fingers over his hands and how I had to hold myself back. And I told it, you know, funny. And a couple of weeks later, a friend came over for a walk and my son answered the door. And my friend said, oh, you know, I heard your mom tell the story about your piano recital. And he looked at me dead in the eyes and he said, you wrote about that? And I'm thinking, not only did I write about it, I mean, I performed it 
in front of, I think there's 700 people in that audience and it lived online on, on YouTube. And so it really was a wake up call that my days were numbered where I could use content. I wasn't really writing about the kids much. That one did happen to be, you know, about him. A lot of times it wasn't about this kids in particular, but still I could see as they were getting older, like that was not going to work. And so I wound that column down. And at the time I had a relationship, like a writing friendship with these two women, Jessica and Stephanie, who were starting a website called the Her Stories Project. And they had done an anthology about female friendship, which I had written about a friendship breakup and reconnection with that same friend. And they loved that piece. It was in the anthology. I wrote for them about how I don't believe that a book club works if it's made up of friends. Like I have a lot of very, very uh, strong opinions about certain things about friendship. And I've always been into friendship. I've written several novels that will never see the light of day, but they were always about friendship. They weren't about romantic love. It's just been something I've always been drawn to. And so they hired me to be their friendship advice columnist. But I was like, I'm not a therapist. I felt funny about it. So I don't really think that I should do this. I'm not a social worker even. I'm I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm a teacher. I was an English teacher before I had kids. I'm just, I really have no business doing that. And they said, no, we'll make that part of, like, that will be the point that you're just a regular person who's sort of obsessed with friendship. And I am. And I also had had an advice column before for another website about Twitter, like how to use Twitter as a writer. And I'd written advice for different sites about baby names. So I was comfortable with the advice concept. Like I love right. writing in that yeah. point of view. And then friendship is just, it's like the two things I love, friendship and advice. So I did that for about four years. And then they were making some changes to their site. They lived, they were taking a break and they very generously let me take all the content. They were like, you know what? That's fine. You, you could take it. I took all that, all the questions, all the answers, and I put them on my own site. And I did that for another couple of years. But then I realized this should really be a podcast. Like I'm a huge podcast listener. I was like an early adopter to podcasts. And it felt like I knew I would know how to do it. Although, as you know, the technological piece really ended up right. being a huge learning curve. And I'm not sorry I did it, but it, it's been a whole different beast, but much bigger. I think the listenership for Dear Nina is way more so than the readership was. So it's exciting. Well, I also think the beauty of media today and podcasting is one of them is that in getting to see you or getting to hear you, whoever it is, whether they know you or not, they feel like they get to know you. Now, as a great writer, you're a phenomenal writer. So, and as I mentioned, I, I think you're, you're descriptive, a, a, a wonderful writer is. And so you oftentimes can close your eyes and, and feel like you're there, but to actually hear the person talking is powerful. So if you're talking about top topics that are relevant to somebody who's listening, they feel like you're their friend. And as they're taking their walk and listening to the podcast or in their car driving somewhere, they don't feel so alone, especially I would think on the topic of friendship. So I've heard because I did a little bit of digging and because I've been following your work, you do ask hard questions. So you don't just dig deep with whomever you're interviewing per se, but you talk about various topics that maybe many of us are curious about, but we don't necessarily ask. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So that possibly even give an example. Yeah, I have a great example. That's a recent one, but well, 
I will say is it's not that I'm asking hard questions, I'm choosing hard questions. So I get anonymous questions. People send me and they, it's the same address that they've been sending me questions since I worked at her stories. And one of the key things that the editors there did that I still use today and I so appreciate is they made it so that the email address was optional for the person asking the question. So there are plenty of advice columns out there and I'm not unique in that. But a lot of times if you write into an advice column, you have to use an email address. So people either use their real one or they go through the trouble. It's like a hassle though. It's annoying to start a fake email address. You can right. do that certainly. My form doesn't require an email address, which means I do get some spam, but that like goes into a filter and it doesn't bother me. And it's worth getting the spam to get really good questions that people, I don't know if they'd be willing to ask if they had to attach their name to it. So that I can't use them all though. So what I'm doing is I'm choosing, it's like I'm editing. I'm choosing to use questions that I think are the most relatable. And what is amazing to me, like you said, I've been doing this for almost 10 years, that there's still new content because I really try not to be repetitive. I mean, there's themes that get repeated, of course, breaking up, making friends, all these kinds of friendship themes that are consistent, but the specifics are unique to each question. I would never choose something that's exactly the same. I almost cannot believe there's so much material, but, but of course I can believe it because friendship is so vast and it's ageless. So I hear from people, I hear from teenagers, I hear from you know, women in their 20s and 30s moving to a new city, I, people divorced and now it's like a new stage of life. And all the way through 70s and 80s, my mom's in her mid 70s and she and her friends listen and, or, and they have read the column. And I do still write and answer questions too on a newsletter. So I do that there. And one of my most recent newsletters I wrote was a question I've been holding onto for a while because I wasn't sure how to answer it. So this question might even be a year old but I just answered it recently and it was, I titled it, you know, I make up the title, but I titled it, my kid broke up with your kid. I don't have it in front of me, so I remember me. It was something along the lines of my kid broke up with your kid, but don't blame me. And, the, and it, was a, it was a juicy one because the person who wrote the question was writing to me because her own good friend, she was a mom, and her mom friend, they were good friends. They weren't just friends through the kids. They actually had a friendship, but their sons, basically had a breakup. And so the letter writer was writing to me from the point of view saying that her own son basically dropped this other kid, her friend's kid. It's kind of hard to follow, but, I and she it. felt bad about that. I mean, of course she doesn't, and these are teenagers, by the way, these aren't little kids, high school kids. Of course she feels terrible that this happened, but she basically says, I can't make my son be friends with my friend's kid. I just, I can't, I'm, as much as it would make my life easier if they would just be friends. Of course it would just be easier if, if our friend's kids would say friends. I can't make him and her friend basically was like, we can't be friends, that we can't be friends because our, you know, your, your kid was so terrible to my kid. And of course you only get one point of view in all of this, like this, in this letter was one paragraph. I mean, in this one paragraph, you are only getting really the letter writer's point of view. But even within that, the other mom only has her own point of view of her own son. And each person only has their own kid's point of view. And um, I think my, advice was very straightforward and direct, which I tried to be, but this time even more so. And this is maybe what people respond to when they say, I will talk about the hard thing. I really felt that the other mom was completely out of line, completely out of line to expect that anybody can tell their teenager who they're going to be friends with. It's just not realistic. I might've written it differently 10 years ago before I had teenagers, but I have four kids, three of whom are teenagers. And I just know that 
you know, if I hear them talking about their homecoming plans, their prom plans, and I can tell us certain kids not being invited, I can certainly say, that's really not the right thing. I really think you should invite that kid. Ultimately, I don't get to choose. Like, I, Nina Badson, <laughs> do not get to decide what the Hopkins homecoming group of 2023 is going to be for 25 kids. Like, it's a, for anyone to think that anyone else's parent has that much control is really delusional. Well, it's so interesting because it's, I think the mama bear instinct, I, I feel that. Like, I, I want, whether it's my son or other kids, I want everybody included. What I've realized, because I love that the area I live in has all these different speakers that you can go to, and I'm reading books about parenting and all this. It's, you know, really fun when you've got a, a, a teenager. Ha ha, right? Is that we got to give them some space to make decisions, right ones or wrong ones, so that they can learn from it. Or that's at least what I'm taking. And it's hard. I have an, I'm an only, my son is an only child. So he is my first. Everything is a first. I can't learn from the behaviors I've had with other kids because he's my only one. And I've been told, you know, one could have four kids like you and the kids could all be different. So it might be different, but I think your, your advice sounds spot on as much as, at least from my perspective, is I want to swoop in and take care of things. I know that it's not good for anybody involved. It really usually makes things worse. This is a perfect case where the it was okay. I think since the moms were good friends, I think it's okay that the mom in question asked her friend, hey, like, is there something my son did? You know, she the letter writer didn't get into those details, but that's how I imagine it went down is that she called and said, did my son do something? You know, they're not hanging out anymore. And, and maybe the letter writer said, let me try to find out. And then the letter writer found out this kid does not want to be friends with the other kid. I don't know why but it, that wasn't part of the letter. At that point though, I think is when you have to let go and, and say, we are gonna be friends way beyond our kids. Actually, um, a friend of mine, our kids got into it a little bit uh, recently, have a little tiff or something they totally made up, which was fine, but she and I have been friends so long, we kind of joked about it and, and I said, we've been friends way longer than these two you know ding dongs came along and we will be friends long after and she said amen and that sometimes you do have to have that let's let's acknowledge that our kids right. are having a thing like right, it's okay right. to acknowledge it and then also acknowledge we're not gonna do anything about it all you can do is like ask your kids to be as kind as possible but that kindness for all we know the other kid was kind right. of being a jerk who knows right well that's that's the interesting thing is as you pointed out is that you only got so much information in the letter and the mom writing to you might have only had so much information too, wasn't privy to part of the conversations. And I think as a parent myself, oftentimes I try and instill to my kid, you don't know what's going on in somebody else's world. So to your point, try and be kind. And listen, does he move forward with that advice? Well, I hope he does, but a lot of parenting is letting go of control. Now, because of what I said earlier about not wanting to tread too much into parenting is I don't choose a lot of questions about kids. I mostly stick to adult friendships because even talking about it a little bit, like I feel myself getting a little heated and I also feel myself editing things about my own kids out. You know, I don't want to use those as examples and that's those are the examples I tend to have. So I do choose a lot of questions about adults. And 
even down to like little nitty gritty things. Recently, I had an episode about money, for example. So that's one that's like a little less emotional, yeah. but it still gets in the way of friendships. And if you're planning a trip together, you know, are, how much are we spending? If you're even out to dinner and one person drinks and the other doesn't, are we splitting it or not? Like, these are the kind of things where I don't necessarily have one answer. There isn't one answer. That's why they're conversations. So I call the podcast Dear Nina Conversations About Friendship because I often have a guest and there isn't just one answer. There just isn't. Uh, but I love all these little details and there's so much to, to be learned about how to be a better friend. And I have lots of takeaways, but we'll, we'll wait till we get there. On that episode, I will say there were a few things that you said that I loved hearing. One of which is that, did you mention that sometimes you take walks with friends instead of going out to lunch? Mm-hmm. Now, I, that, that's one of my favorite things. And I've talked about that on the podcast time after time is that to me, it's such a huge win because one, you get your steps in, you get exercise. Two, it's very healing to be outside. I think as a little kid, I never understood that. But now sitting in an office right here in the studio is, uh, it, you know, you see the beautiful part of it, not the cluttered part of it. Although I, I, I would like to think it's not as cluttered, but to go outside and to get fresh air, you do that when you take a walk outside, right? Although I guess in Minnesota, you know, depending on the time of year where you're from, you could go inside a mall, but nonetheless, you get the steps in and you get the opportunity to connect with people. And so I think when talking with money, that resonated. The other thing that made me laugh is that I, I think there was a conversation, something about how People don't really just hang out at home like we did when we were kids where you're just like sitting and watching a movie with a girlfriend. And I laugh because last weekend, I literally didn't feel like going out. I was tired. You know, it, the, the weather was kind of icky here. And my son went out with my husband and their friend and child. And I said, you know what? I said to the mom, I'm like, you're welcome to come over here, but you know, sweatpants are mandatory and we could watch a girly movie. And she loved it. I mean, never asked this person that before, right? We, um, and it made me laugh. So when, when I, I heard that story, I thought again, back to what we were saying earlier is it's funny how, um, you know, I, I don't know you well, I don't know this person that, that you were interviewing. I think her name was Mia, but we all, these topics on friendship can be relevant to as you said, people, any age, any background, and going through what any hurdles that they might be going through. That's right. And the whole purpose of my column from the get-go, and it's continued into the podcast, I end every episode with this tagline, when our friendships are going well, we are happier all around. And I really feel that way. When you have strife with a friend, when there's silence between the two of you, when you just feel icky about stuff, at least for me, it permeates my entire life. Like everything else can be great. I can be getting along great with my husband. My kids, you know, are healthy. Thank God I'm feeling good or something. But I'm having an issue with a friend and it's like, forget it. Everything else is is the worst also. It's, it, there's a strange tremor in the forest when we know someone's upset with us or we're upset with somebody. And so my whole point is just that everyone should just get along. <laughs> like, I just want everyone to be able to get along as well as possible. And I think we sometimes get in our own ways a lot. <laughs> I think that's true of everything, not just friendship. I think in life, yeah. I-, I can speak that to myself that sometimes I think I get in my own way. You know, you said something that made me think. So you've been writing about friendship and You've been a friend for your, you know, you've had friends for most of your whole life. Since you've been writing the last 10 years, specifically focused or or inquiring about friendship, have you changed any of your ways 
or is it just evolved? I think that I work a lot harder to take things less personally because the letters I get, it's so clear to me sometimes. It's not, I don't even need to know all the details and they never tell me all the details. I can read two paragraphs and say, oh, this person's taking that way too personally. This person has made a whole thing out of a lot of assumptions and it's so easy when it's strangers. And I think, gosh, of course I do that too. I think somebody, there's some funny meme that's gone around Instagram a thousand times and it's so true. And it's, it's about, you know, I didn't text back because I'm busy, but she didn't text me back because she hates me. Like that is how <laughs> we think. I think that is very natural to assume the best of ourselves and the worst of others. And I don't mean just assume the worst, like they're bad people, but assume bad intention or assume we did something wrong. And most I people, and I mean, certainly you can speak to this, have a lot going on in their lives that are so beyond whether they texted you back. Like it's not always so personal, but then you take it personally and you act accordingly. So I, I see it with uh, the teenagers in my life too. I see it with their own friends. Like they're upset about something. And so then they like don't text the person back, because, but they're, the thing they're upset about was just an assumption in the first place, but now they're acting cold. And so it's like becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you are acting a little cold towards your friend over some perception and it becomes and now real. they're acting it, cold because they right. think you're acting cold. So right. And it becomes- It really happens. Circle. Yes. Well, the beauty and the curse of technology, right? You and I would not be here and we would not be hosting our podcasts and the world is so connected now in a hard way, but also in a beautiful way that there's a lot of meaning that can come from it. I mean, but to your point, like we have to be weary and we've got to be mindful yeah. of all that. And making time, I'd say is another huge change uh, I've made. I, I always made time for friends, but I'd say even more so now. And, and all these studies have come out. It's nothing new. I feel like every 10 years they come out with these studies, but there's a new book out called The Good Life where they had this huge long-term study they followed. And I'm going to get some of the details wrong with the two doctors. They've been all over the place. They must have the best PR people ever. They've been in every show, <laughs> every everything, CBS Morning, everything. And it was, I think, like an 80-year study four generations or something where they did all this research. And basically the common theme was that the friendships are what really made people happy more than anything else, more than income, more than, I don't want to say more than health because I don't, I don't know that you could separate health from happiness really, but the friendships were an enormous part of people's long-term happiness. And that does not surprise me at all. That's, it just doesn't, it would, you need these people in your life outside of your home to round out your life. And that could still be on the phone. It could still be connecting online and stuff. But I do think making time even for phone calls is essential. I will tell you that beyond happiness, I've done a, a lot of reading and research on healing as a two-time cancer survivor, living and thriving, I'd like to say, with stage four disease. That was very important to me to see who was thriving, what they were doing to be well. And there are a number of studies about support. And this book, it's, I know you love books. So I pulled out a few books that if we were going to talk about what we were grateful for and what books they were, that this, this one here is called Anti-Cancer Living. And they talk about this mix of six. What are six ways that we can help prevent disease, cancer, that is, or live with it and hopefully thrive. And one of those six is the support that you get from your support system, whether that is family, some of us are blessed with it, or it's friends. And hey, we get to choose friends. And I know that I can speak to 
how important that's been as a part of my journey because my anybody who's had cancer or a chronic disease knows that it's not a linear disease like you you go from point a to b but sometimes you're not really sure how you got there some days are good some days are not i mean insert any hardship there really and having that support system which can help us be happy when we're going through whatever that is we're doing something you said really lit something in me when you were saying we choose our friends i mean of course that is true I think maybe a mistake people make is they stop choosing. It's like you have to keep making the choice. Like you have these people don't just like exist in your life as placeholders. Like you have to keep choosing to pick up the phone, keep choosing to make plans, keep choosing to connect. Otherwise, they're really just names, you know, in in an address book. I mean, address book is very dating, but and they're just a name in our iPhone. If you don't push the number sometimes and, and connect. And it's, yeah, it's so important. I also think when it comes to like old friends from childhood, the ones that I know there's plenty of friends that we had for certain reasons in our lives and, and perhaps childhood could be one of them. But I'd like to think that we all have somebody or a handful of people that were really important to us at some point in our lives. And then we, our lives go a different direction, right? It's been very powerful for me to not let it wait for a year. I, oh my gosh, now I'm going to tear up. One of my best friends from childhood lives in Atlanta, so I don't see her very often. And our birthdays are near each other. We went to camp together, and so we'd always celebrate our birthdays at camp. And so even if we do not talk for six months, and she's one of my closest friends too, we will get on the phone in June and July, and we'll talk during our birthdays. Um, But recently, I think because of what's going on with my health, we've talked more. So And it's been such a beauty, like just a beautiful thing, that energy that you get from the love of a childhood friend that you just liked each other because you liked each other. And as we've gotten older and as we've grown up, I think there are some people that you stay with and there's some people for many different reasons, you go different directions. But um, to your point in choosing friends, it's not just about choosing those friends. I think it's choosing to, to take some time to and make efforts with those people that you know that you care about because we all don't have enough time. And I was able to see her not too long ago and it was amazing. And while there were days where we, and it's funny, I thought about her in that episode I listened to with Mia when you talked about how sometimes friends have more money than each other. Like out of school, she worked in finance and I worked in entertainment and I did not make a lot of money. And we actually had an interesting conversation in our 20s. I was like, I can't afford to go out. And she would say to me, well, I can't afford for you not to go out. So if I buy you two glasses of really cheap wine, she didn't say that, but wherever we were going in Minneapolis at the time, then she got to have a fun night. And it's not, I'm sure there's any people that she was very well liked, but we wanted to go out together. And so it's, it's interesting and neat. And I'm coming full circle here, but to your point about choosing people to be in your life and continually choosing, I think that's one thing I noticed is that there are people I love from my past. And yes, if I wait two, five years to talk to them, it's okay because I will jump back in. But yet, my heart was so filled. And when I came back from seeing her, I just, I had so much wonderful energy at a time when I really needed it. And so 
I think this is a reminder for all those listening out there. Even if it's just a phone call, call those that you love, even deep from your past. If you know it's going to make you feel good, it'll probably make them feel great too. I love that story. See, I love other people's friendships too. You know, I love my own friendships, but I love other people's friendships. I love that story. And you're speaking to something that you didn't use these exact words, but I think a lot in, this is not original to me. This is like, and in, in lots of different books about relationships, this idea of deposits and withdrawals. And of course, five years can go by if you've made so many deposits over the years. And if you're like an open-hearted person, you can recognize those deposits, even if they happened a long time ago. And maybe the five years of quiet is what we would say is with the withdrawal. It you know, chips away just a teeny bit. It's nothing personal happened. But it just chips away because time has moved on and life has happened. But those deposits are still there and they count for something. And I, I urge people to, to allow them to count for something that, by the way, that is also true when there's conflict between two people. Like something negative can happen but if if we don't if we cannot let it erase all the good it's very human nature it's kind of like what I, it's back to what i said earlier is that you know, we give ourselves a lot of grace but assume the worst of others if we can not erase all the good isn't that just natural like something bad happens and all of a sudden it doesn't matter that they were there for you nine out of ten times it's like time number ten we're very hard on people. I, I, it's funny. I've been thinking about this today with this episode coming up. It's that's kind of a negative take. I hate to say it, but it's for a positive purpose, which is just to urge people to like, be a little more forgiving because life is so complicated. And I think we're, we're, a lot of people are, and I just see this in the letters I get, people are very hard on their friends. I actually think expectations are a little out of whack. <laughs> I'm going to say that. I don't know if I've even said that on my show before. I'm saying it here. I think people's expectations need to come down a little bit. I And I think it makes sense though in life because so many things are coming at us in different directions, don't you think? Even just talking about time, we don't mean to spend so much time on our devices, but we're getting communicated to or we're being passive in the communication and there's all these different, it's data in our brains. And so I wish it weren't the case, but I do agree with you. I think that if we could all take a deep breath and try and expect the good, hope for the mm -hmm. good, maybe the end result isn't going to be any different. But I'll tell yeah. you, when we are hard, like criticizing others in our head, it's still like negative and burdensome on us. Yeah, that's right. Which makes, even if they never know, it's hard on us. That's right. I mean, you do a lot of work on positive thinking and I, I've listened to plenty of yours and read your things too. I just, you're not on my show. If you're on my show, I, I would say all that back to you, but now I'm saying it. And I think that is so true. Like that negative thoughts and negative energy, it's, it like becomes real to us as if the person has done something when we don't even know that they have. But like I said earlier, it's like we act in kind, we act right. as if, and it, people can feel that they can feel a chill. And then they, they do the chill back. And, and then we're busy and we go a different direction. Yeah. Well, it's hard. Life is hard. And friendship is hard. And I, I can always spin it and be like, it's beautiful. And I'm, I, I love to talk, you know, I talk about gratitude. But before we close, I want to ask you a question about, we're talking about hard here. Like, what are, I don't know, two things, a few things that you can share about friendship that maybe we don't know. That might help us or might make us laugh or just give us a good, you know, peaceful breath. I have a really good one that I hope will transform some people's friendships. And it kind of goes on that same theme of making assumptions. 
I'm going to tell you that most people are terrible at making plans. They're just not good at it. They're really just not good at it. But it doesn't mean they don't want to see you and go out. So anybody who wants to have plans will have plans if they are willing to make plans. I really firmly believe that. You have plans if you make plans because you are in control of the plan. What that takes is letting go of the fact that you're always the one that asks. Now, you'll have a sense if you ask the same person over and over again and they always have an excuse, okay, I would be probably done with that person. But if the person always says yes, and not just vaguely yes, but yes, how about Tuesday at noon? Yeah. And like they really yeah. follow up, then they're interested. And they're like, let's, let's let go of keeping track of like who asked. It would free up a lot of space and you would probably, I don't mean, Karen, like all people would enjoy their friendships more. Uh, I get a lot of letters, my number one, SEO, you know, anyone who has a website knows, and yeah. even if you don't have a website, right. you can see how people got to your site. So one of the most popular expressions that leads people to my website is the expression, my friend never initiates contact. I have titled something that, and so it comes to me, but it shows you that people are really searching up any version of that. My friend never calls first, all these. My friend never texts first. There's a lot of people with this angst about the fact that they're the ones that reach out. And that's just a huge tip of mine is as long as your friend reaches back, you're good. It, some people just aren't good at it. Well, and I love that you're saying that because I know that there's plenty of people that are the initiators and sometimes get in their head like, oh, why am I always the initiator? But you know what? If you're good at it and people know you're good at it, then embrace it. I mean, I might need to take some of my own advice here, but that I, I love hearing you say that, especially because you're seeing the data that comes in that people are really questioning this. So I really see the data and I have a Facebook group for my podcast and we talk about friendship stuff. And when I was doing an episode on this topic, I put it in there first and I said, I really asked if anybody is just not good at initiating, if they could really speak to that point of view. So somebody called in, I have a little voicemail line. It was so refreshing. It was nice. It's like, you don't just have to take my word for it. I was able to hear her voice and she was representing people like her who said she's so grateful for her friends who reach out. She's not annoyed that they're always asking. She's so grateful because she wants to have plans. She just thinks at it. She's not that great at time management. She's not that great at managing all the messages in her stuff. Like she can respond. She's just not like a good initiator. And like, it was, it was refreshing to hear that because I am, which won't surprise you, a good initiator. Yeah. And I call, I call myself the cruise director. And oh, Julie, I, I, the cruise director. <laughs> yes, I love me. Love Boat. For, for teens and kids, too, I would give the same advice for people to give their kids if their kids are home every Saturday night and feel like they're being left out. It's like I would turn to them and say, well, why don't you play cruise director for a little bit? You'd have to explain that reference. But like, don't let don't let kids feel sorry for themselves. Like, when did they, when's the last time they reached out to somebody? Like, it's not always about getting invited. Sometimes you have to do the inviting. And it's not always comfortable. I'm not saying it's comfortable, but you kind of just have to do it. If you want plans, you have to make plans. That's my, my number one. I love it. I am so grateful that we finally got to have a long conversation together and especially on this topic because it's been so important to me. Really my whole life, I think I, I've been blessed that I've had really when I say great friends, quality friends, like dynamic friends, multidimensional friends. And I will say, especially during my cancer journey and especially the last six, eight months dealing with some new news and ups and downs, I've got a, a group of people locally and I'm not from here. I love to tell everybody how much I love Minneapolis and I'm from Minneapolis, but I am not in Minneapolis now. And so to have this group of women, um, they call themselves Karen's crew or Karen's tribe. And they threw me a surprise party, which by the way, I ended up 
needing, like I was going to go out of town. So they needed to tell me that, uh, that the party was for me. It, it really made me feel so special and wonderful at a time where I just felt really beat up. And so I'm incredibly grateful for those friends and some of my friends from home that I still talk to on a day-to-day basis have been such a part of, of this journey. So um, I end every episode playing what we call the grateful game. It's something my son and I started when he was nine and he, um, he doesn't do it quite as regular as we used to. Um, however, what I learned through all the work that I've done is that having any type of meditation, prayer, gratitude practice, where we try and be present in the moment and think about call it good things, can really help us take on, like rewire the brain a little differently so that you're looking throughout your day for good things, for things that you're grateful for. So Nina, and those of you who are listening to, if you could just take a moment, think about, and Nina, I'd like to ask you, what is, you can tell me one thing, what, something that you're grateful for and why that happened in the last 24 hours. What I'm grateful for involves a little technology, actually. There is an app I'm sure many of your listeners know about called WhatsApp. And it functions just a lot more. It's just smoother than regular texting. And I love voice memos. And I love them because you can leave a message for somebody that that's different than a voicemail. It's just different. Nobody, nobody's listening to voicemail. They're just not. And my husband has a hard time accepting that. I'll be like, I left you a voicemail. I'm like, Brian, nobody's listening to voice. For some reason, I'll listen to a voice memo, but it's like, I won't listen to a voicemail. I have no good explanation for it. And I have this friend in Boulder who I've never met. And we've known each other through the writing world for many, many years. And then she also started podcasting along around the time I did. And she really taught me how to edit my podcast. And we are still in such close touch. And um, I'm just so grateful for her. Her name's Pam. She actually was on my episode recently. We talked about... uh, dieting diet culture and it was a great topic but i'm so grateful for her because we've never met and yet i feel so close to her and i had a really grateful club meeting the other night and she was the first person i thought to get on whatsapp we're in a different time zone we both are busy and we hardly ever talk live but right away you know i wanted to leave her a message and, and just tell her and i'm just grateful for her and for that connection that's and that's wonderful and that's back to technology which you said is that there there's so much beauty about it too so anyway, I just took a sip of my smoothie and I'm like, oh, um, so I just want to say thank you again. This has been wonderful. It's been amazing connecting with you. It's been like, truly interesting to hear what you've had to say about friendship and giving some great advice. And there's a place for people to go if they want to connect. Will you tell us where people can find you? Yes. The best place is any place you listen to podcasts. I'm everywhere and it's Dear Nina, conversations about friendship. But my newsletter is on Substack, which is just a a lot of people don't know about it. I feel like you have a lot of listeners that are regular people. I call them like civilians, just non-writers, non-podcasters, just regular people. So Substack is exactly how it sounds, substack.com. And you can find newsletters there. And mine has the same name, Dear Nina, conversations about friendship. And that's where I answer the questions, uh, the written form. And those are not on the podcast. It's like separate. So try to keep it separate. Something for everyone, something for the readers, something for the listeners. That's, that's wonderful. So, and how about Instagram? You're on Instagram? Yes, of course. I'm on Instagram. I'm waiting for you to get back on yours, but I think it's actually healthy that you're taking a little break too. So that's good. I'm at Dear dot nina dot b i couldn't get just the straight up dear nina it's too bad but at dear dot nina dot 
be. And I do keep that updated. And on my Instagram, I often have pictures of like pop culture friendship stuff I like. Um, like, you know, Ginny and Georgia, like the two moms and Ginny and Georgia, I actually put them up there because they're still friends, even though their kids are fighting, like that kind of stuff. So I try to make each, each thing platform different. a little different. Well, yeah, again, this is wonderful. I hope the listeners will check it out. Um, feel free to reach out to her on any of her platforms or reach out here. Let us know if you have any other questions, if you have any other ideas for future topics. And I just want to say again, thank you for listening and joining us on this journey and hope that we were able to inspire you to maybe reconnect with old friends or feel grateful about the friendships you already have because we are just here to try and help us all, including ourselves, find a little bit of joy during whatever journey we're going on in our lives. So thanks again and bye for now. One more thing. I would be so grateful if you'd take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sending you lots of happiness and great health.